0: to the second season of the visitors podcast Ooh. glad you could all come back um, we were very excited about the response that we got to the first season it was uh, according to what the uh, boys upstairs told me it was one of the most successful podcasts that the post writers ever put on so that that uh chuffed my cheeks hearing that news so we're back with sort of a, a same format but a little bit of uh, different twists. Uh, first of all, let me introduce myself. I'm Lewis Ryan. I'm sure everyone uh, is familiar with me based on listening to the first season, but if you're new, I'm Lewis Ryan. I'm the host of the Visitors Podcast, contributing writer to the Rider website. And I'm joined by a grand, brand new co host for this season, so I'll let him introduce yourself.
1: Hi, everybody. I'm uh, Michael Levito, and I'm the uh, editor in chief of the Postwriter and uh, an avid. For all well, I and an avid fan of the thing we'll be talking about, I did not want to spoil the reveal. Um, happy to be here.
0: Yeah, so I think I want to ask a question that sort of everyone wants to know right now. Everyone's waiting with bated breath. They want to know, Mike, what did you do to Lars Emerson?
1: Oh well, you know it. You know you, you talked about V in the last season. Turns out that he was a visitor. He was not actually human. Um, we had to take care of business. And he's in, he's in jail now. He's, or well, Area 51, I don't know if it's technically a jail. There really wasn't any, like, established legal proceedings. Um, the government just kind of swooped in. I, I called an anonymous tip line after I saw him eating a guinea pig. So the government swooped in and just, uh, just threw him in there, so... Yeah, that's where Lars is. I've never, I've never really seen V, so I, I don't know if any of that made sense, but
0: <laughs> no, it made made perfect sense. Uh, I always imagined Lars was sort of a visitor in disguise. He was too, he was too used to being in desert climates to not be a lizard person. This in is disguise. this is
1: true. I mean, his, his mailing address for the past few years has been in Nevada, so you know.
0: Yeah, short short commute to uh, Area Fifty One. Yeah, to Groom Lake. Um, yeah, so lars has been replaced by uh, mike mike's like sort of the six million dollar man replacement for lars <laughs> he's better stronger faster hashtag daft punk um yeah so mike's here and uh we're very excited today so mike um we're not we're not doing v anymore um we might come back to it in the future but for right now we're switching it up from going over the v franchise on this podcast and going forward um I want the podcast sorta of to encompass like different um sort of science fiction stories, stuff like that. So we're changing it up to a, a different subject this season. Mike, would you care to tell the listeners what we'll be covering in this second season of the Visitors Podcast?
1: Yeah. Uh so uh for the second season of this podcast, we'll be talking about for all mankind, uh, Apple T V pluses. I would say I think it'd be fair to call compared to the uh, I mean, outside of Ted Lasso, probably the biggest hit on that streamer so far, and kind of their foray into science fiction and and alternate history, really. Um, A show that's kind of... I I, I think it's been... I said hit, but maybe a sleeper hit. It's kind of, I feel like, slowly gained momentum uh, over the past few years since it was released in 2019. Um, And a show that... Uh, I, as someone who basically, I would say, two podcasts I've worked on here have also basically been alt history focused. Like some a, a, sh- a show that fascinates me in that I, when I when I first started watching it, I really just just could not stop. I was staying up to like three a.m. to watch episodes.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, I think we'll talk about sort of the, the sleeper hitness of the show in, in just a second. But um, yeah, I'm very excited to talk about this show. As Mike said, it's on Apple TV it's a very much more recent show than the V franchise. So, and and I know a big part of, uh, Lars and I's analysis of the V franchise was sort of comparing it to modern day. And what does it say about, you know, life in the 2020s and so forth. And so I think Mike and I will sort of analyze it in that sort of realm. And we'll definitely talk about that as we, I think, wind down towards the end of our coverage of the first season. So I think we're definitely going to talk about that, but yeah, Mike sort of outlined sort of the initial, premise of the show so we'll talk about that when we get into the deep dives of our episodes this week we'll be covering the first two episodes episodes one and two of the first season and this will be spoiler filled coverage we're not going to hold anything back if you want to watch this show like a newborn experiencing everything for the first time then go watch the show go get apple tv plus and then come back to our podcast because we are not going to try to um hold anything back as i said um so i guess the first question i want to ask is mike how did you hear about this show
1: um well i heard it bad of, well okay I, I had seen the ads for it um i believe the first ad for it dropped during a super bowl um and it, you know it, it, it sort of talked about this i would say flashy kind of attention grabbing presence which is essentially uh instead of neil armstrong an american being the first man uh, to land and step foot on the moon, it is instead um, a Russian. The Americans lose the race to the moon and essentially lose the space race. And I remember seeing that, and, you know, it was it was like 2018, 2019. It was a few years after Trump's election. You know, I was maybe not feeling, like, super great about the direction of the country and just being like, you know, this just seems like a real bummer of a show where, like, one of the greatest achievements in American history is undone. And I was like, I don't really know if I if I if I'm in the place to watch this, but uh a few months ago actually the now incarcerated Lars um told me about uh was like you you have to watch this show. Um you know, it uh because of like the alternate elections and things you just have to watch this show. And so I started watching probably towards the beginning of this year if I remember correctly. And, yeah, kind, kind kind of fell in love with it. Uh, really, really kind of caught caught my attention and, and set my imagination on fire.
0: Yeah, that's, that's cool. That's interesting. Like, I honestly, like, didn't know much about the show. Like, I knew I had heard the title and that it was, like, about the space program. And I had only seen, like, one TV spot where, like, they just showed, like, Joel Kinnaman's frowny face for, like, 10 seconds. And I thought, like, oh, this is just going to be, like, a show about, like, the modern day space program mm. so i thought it it was set in the present i didn't realize it was like a period show until like i saw you you did like your own tweets talking about like the alternate history electoral uh like presidential elections and whatnot i was like what is this so um and that's that's where i was like oh maybe this might be a show that i might be interested in because i'm like interested in like history and the details and sort of like the space race um I do have a certain fondness for, like, sort of, like, the 60s, like, jet pilot era, like, that sort of aesthetic. Yeah. Even in, like, a terrible movie like The Starfighters, <laughs> which is basically, it's almost, like, more a documentary than a fictional film of just, like, pilots going about their day. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, there's something about, like, that look of, like, jets and the pilots and whatnot. Um um and if you like that go see top gun maverick i guess but it might be too late by this point because everyone already has yeah go Um, see
1: it for the fifth time
0: yeah so so i'd heard the title um it was like part of apple tv's like initial slate of Mm -hmm. shows i believe like its first tv shows and so there was like a lot of scrutiny around like everything and i want to say i feel like people weren't as um high on the show like when it first started like the first few episodes but then I saw, like, um, Alan Sepinwall, New Jersey's most famous uh, TV critic. He, he, he has a really strong fondness for the show, and he, writes, he tweets about it a lot in his reviews and whatnot. So I was like, between that and, like, you uh, talking about it, I was like, oh, this might be interesting, and I thought it would be a good uh, idea for us to cover it uh, for a second season of this podcast. And the ironic thing is we were talking about Lars uh, not being here and you being the host. So Lars was the first one, I guess, to watch the show. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when we uh we pitched the idea that you and I would be covering it. Um covering for all mankind. Lars was like fuming about it. And then <laughs> I was sort of like, No 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 you can you can be a guest. Don't don't get angry. Um so Lars Lars might be coming in and we might have other uh, post writer contributors as special guests in uh, future episodes um just to liven things up that that's what i'm just interested in is that just making sure that this second season is fresh that we're covering a new topic i have mike in here to inject some new blood um hopefully i'm not going to get replaced next season uh but we'll just wait and see hey
1: never say never
0: yeah um the alternate history where i'm never born (laughs) yeah and then someone else has to host this podcast yes
1: ted kennedy has to host this podcast (laughs) but that's that's a mild
2: spoiler
0: hey but you know no no spoilers here no um so yeah i guess we'll just sort of expand on like what the the premise is uh i mean people coming to this podcast should already know but as mike said it's basically like uh, a great alternate history tv show which is becoming somewhat a more popular concept in television series i would say it used to just be sort of the realm of books and like prose Mm -hmm. fiction Um, we had the man in the high castle on amazon a few years ago and now we have this sort of providing an alternate history it's like what if the soviets had landed on the moon in 1969 um instead of the u.s and then sort of like the fallout from there and sort of the continuing space race that er emerges from the lack of a sort of a you know a space gap from us clearly winning the space race and uh one thing I just wanted to mention before we deep dive into the episodes is sort of like the, the team behind the show like who created the show um, who's sort of like on the production end of things so like one of the names that I certainly recognized um, as one of the creators is Ronald D. Moore who um, uh, I have a fondness for because he was one of the primary producers and writers on Star Trek Deep Space Nine a great TV show biggest sci-fi shows of the 1990s I would say mm-hmm. Um, and I think this show, you know, it's sort of a companion piece to, you know, people who like Deep Space Nine, who sort of like that that mode of sci-fi storytelling, and people who I think like Star Trek would very much enjoy a show like For All Mankind, especially in an era now where um, a lot of people are arguing, like, that some of the Star Trek shows sort of eschew sort of the old school sensibilities of old Star Trek, so seeing a name like Ronald D. Moore, who's also been involved with uh, the reimagining of Battlestar Galactica on the sci-fi channel and does a lot of other stuff he also does uh, the show Outlander on Stars, um, and a bunch of other producers from Deep Space Nine I've also, I've also seen their name in the producer credits for this show so I just wanted to mention that before we deep dive into the episodes but I think uh, um, that's sort of what I wanted to just say because I just wanted to give enough setup before we go into our deep dive Mike do you have anything to add?
1: No, I, I would say that, yeah, it, it's the Star Trek um, connection, I... So, full disclosure is that I... Lewis has not seen the second season or the third season that's currently ongoing. I have seen both. And I would say that um, if you like Star Trek, you are definitely like the show because even at me, someone who is, like, not that well-versed in Star Trek, like, I have noticed, like, the connections to Star Trek kind of as the show has gone on. Um, so, yeah, I think definitely, like, a a big cosign. If you're skeptical, but you're you're into stuff like that, I think that's the biggest selling point I can give you. Um, yeah, I feel like the kind of early skepticism to this show and, like, scrutiny, I think was also just a product of, like, people were really down on Apple TV Plus when it first came out. I think because they thought it was kind of, um, uh... Unnecessary a little bit. Like, it had this, you know, weird kind of, like, original content-only policy. And also... The other two shows that it uh, pre- premiered with uh, Apple TV Plus were The Morning Show and C, which are two shows that I don't think are held in nearly the same esteem as For All Mankind are. Um, so yeah. It, the,
0: the premise of C, I like. I, I knew like more about C than For All Mankind when it came out, and it's like the premise of C just sounds fascinating. <laughs> I know.
1: It, it's that's the one where everybody's blind, right?
0: Except uh, Aquaman,
1: yeah. Except Jason Momoa. Well, that's the thing. Do you think about it too, right? It's like C had Jason Momoa, pretty big star, and the morning show had Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston and Steve Carell, right? And people have watched the morning show. I'm not going to completely dismiss it, but um, I think this show, which has you know some names that like, if you if you watch a lot of TV and movies, you might recognize some of them, but you know, I, it, certainly no one Jennifer Aniston level. And yet, I think it's probably been, like I said, I— Outside of Ted Lasso, probably the second most successful show on the streamer so far.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you. Uh, I didn't want to, like, derail you too much, but you know, Severance, which also oh, came here this year, has point. gotten a lot of buzz and attention, and then it, it, mm. it is really, really good. Yeah. Um, but, you know, enough about uh, us plugging other Apple TV plus shows. <laughs> Why don't we... Um, I think actually we've probably been talking long enough that I think we can probably go into our first break. Okay, <laughs> and then uh, then we'll come back and then we'll we'll talk about the uh, first two episodes of For All Mankind, season one. So I guess I guess you know if 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 you didn't heed my warning before about spoilers, you know now would be a good time to you know stop the podcast, purchase Apple TV Plus, go out to Best Buy, get one of those Apple TV sets. <laughs> And then come back to your house, install it, make sure that the red plug is plugged into the... Do they still have that on TVs, the coaxial cables with the red and the yellow? I don't think so. Probably not.
1: (laughs) Yeah, abort the landing, if you will. You'll get that once (laughs) you watch the show.
0: (laughs) So yeah, uh, we're going to take a break and then we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere.
2: The Post Writer is primarily self-funded by its owners and it costs hundreds of dollars per year to keep the site online. The money we raise and contribute ourselves allows us to pursue stories, projects,
1: and interests that are important to us, while making them completely free to everyone online with minimal
2: advertisements. We do, however, rely on contributions from readers, followers, and listeners like you to stay sustainable and go above and beyond. Every additional dollar we raise helps us do things like launch new podcasts, write more content pursue larger projects, and engage more with current and future readers. If you're inclined to support us, you can go to the slash
1: donate to find out how to support the site and our projects financially. Thank you for your support and for contributing to the work we do.
0: right and we're back from break mike mike what did you do during your break
1: well i got some bad news so i drove like 100 miles per hour towards my nearest dive bar i listened to some like 60 soul music um i threw a beer bottle at a dartboard and i feel a lot better now (laughs) (laughs)
0: um yeah so let's uh, mike Mike, uh, mike's already into it so let's (laughs) discuss episode one the the red moon so mike i guess the I don't know. The I think the most novel thing about, or the most gripping thing about this episode is probably like the opening scene. Would you agree?
1: I would agree. Yes, it's this very. Um, it's kind of like an, it's awe-inspiring in the sense, not that I don't think it's like the greatest and achievement ever, but like it's it's it it's I think does a really effective job of setting up a lot of characters who will become important early on, but then also kind of imparting the idea of what's going to happen. I guess I jumped ahead a little bit of that because now that I think about it, the opening scene is really, it starts off with the history of the space program and Kennedy's speech about going to the moon. And it, it gives you the familiar history, the stuff you already know happens before diving into uh, the divergence point, right? The Soviet landing. Um, and and it's, it's a very, it's, it's very powerful, right? It conveys, you know, we think of the moon landing as a very triumphant event in American history, but it conveys a real sense of sort of like fear, concern, and despondence, I would say.
0: Yeah, it's very uh impactful. It's sorta of, it's sorta of like um sorta of has like a setup punchline thing to it where it's like um um I think and like this whole first episode in general sorta of has like a docudrama feel mm-hmm. more than just like traditional television drama. And I think that's both like sort of a a plus and a minus and i think I'll we'll get to that in a couple of minutes. But like this sort of, like, setup of, like, oh, you know, this is the 1960s. It's going to show, you know, Neil, Neil Armstrong on the moon, whatever. And then it shows, like, you know, the Russian cosmonaut. And then it's sort of, like, very dramatic. And, they you know, they have, like, the music that, like, ups the, like, scare chords. Uh, like, the Russian anthem, I guess. And, like, the image of the hammer and sickle that, like, sort of burns in your brain. And it's like, okay, something, something different is going to go on here. And uh, it's, it's sort of, you know, it's definitely... I would, you know it sort of hooks the audience in it's not just sort of you know an everyday run-of-the-mill scene it's sort of like what this is strange how's this gonna work how is this a tv show yeah i think is like the big question i have watching this yeah
1: and i would say that even extends to so like it, it shows all of that and then it goes into the title sequence and i would say that even extends after the title sequence which opens with um quote-unquote like you know tape recordings of President Nixon as he's discussing, um, losing the race to the moon and what's going to happen, right? That, I think, is, like, a very interesting way to introduce the president as a character, which is they never actually have him on screen, like, being portrayed by an actor. It's all through these, um, different, uh, it's all through, essentially, like, you know...
0: It's like deep fakes almost. It
1: is, yeah. Thoughts. Yeah. Um... And it, you watch that, and, and like, it, it's both kind of confusing and intriguing, right? So you're like, okay, how are they going to do this for, like, 10 or so episodes? But also, it's like, oh, this is cool. I feel like I am watching, like, the alternate version of, like, CNN's The 60s,
2: right?
0: Yeah. Well, I think that one of the interesting things about this um, is that, you know, we have that it's analyzing sort of, like, the political side of, like, the space program. So And obviously, the space race was... I mean, it sounds obvious that it's like you know has to be revealed to us in like detail, but it was obviously a sort of an ideological race between the United States and the Soviet Union. But it is like uh, the space race wasn't born out of ideals to create some sort of Star Trek you know utopia where we explore. It was based around you know we have to beat the communists and whatnot stuff like that. So it's good that this show sort of analyzes those details.
1: Yeah, it's very much a it and it. it it's interesting because it's a show that kind of acknowledges the idealism that I think lots of American people felt behind the space program, but also the more sort of like um, pragmatic realpolitik considerations of the people running NASA, people in the White House, people in Congress, things like that. It's it's a it's, it's a very like nuts and bolts, I think, look at at the space program.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, it is kind of surreal to like involve nixon and other you know important historical figures like political figures and like the the series like and using deep fake sort of technology to insert them it's a bit strange and it is it gets to what i was alluding to before when i said docudrama is that i feel like it's a very long time before we actually get anything in terms of like um our main characters i don't know how you feel about that mike but it is just like it's strange that this, it's like a tv show but i feel like uh this episode, it's almost like, this episode as a whole is almost like a one-off, sort of like Twilight Zone story. And um, I don't know if there's a huge amount of uh, character work in, like, the first half of this episode.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I There are definitely some seeds that are planted, I think, in characterization. I think Ed Baldwin in particular, like, his whole snafu with talking to the reporter and, and the fallout from there. And how that affects his relationship with his wife, Karen. I think that gives you some early indications of how the relationship is going to play out. Um, but yeah, I would say a lot of the other characters are kind of like kept as broad types. Um, you know, Margot, Werner, uh, Tom Payne, Gordo. Um, I, I would say that they're, they're kind of kept as broad as possible. And you get a little insight into them, but maybe not quite as much as you'll get later on.
0: Yeah, I feel like they just they, this episode goes a long way to sort of establishing like the setting yeah and the time period i guess more so mm-hmm. than like anything i would say like there's not really sort of a, a plot in this episode not too much it's more like a premise and then there's a fallout from that yeah and it's you know not, not too heavy on characters like um i guess i guess we can just talk about uh ed baldwin because ed baldwin is um a, I mean, you could say that this show is an ensemble show, but I feel like at this point, Ed Baldwin is sort of the only character we have, like, as an anchor, mm-hmm. a lifeline for us as an audience, unless you're just totally invested in, like, the space program as, like, an entity. Um, so how do, how do you feel about uh, Joel Kinnaman as Ed Baldwin, Mike? uh you
1: know, I, I don't... I, is he doing, like, Olivier-level work? I, I don't think so, but, like, I think he is... He's he's pretty good in this role. I think he, he certainly looks the part of this kind of like classic all American, you know, swashbuckling pilot, even though I believe he was actually born in Sweden. But um I I, I think he you you mentioned like his pouty face earlier and like he, he does a lot of pouting in the show, that's that's sure, that's true. But I think he, he he manages to sort of carry himself as this um He's not—he's not a powder keg, but he is a guy who he's kind—he's got like a very stern father vibe, right? Like he is a guy who is nice enough when he wants to be, but you, you don't want to cross him. Um, but also, you know, I think he also also kind of conveys the sense of having a lot of personal ambition, right? He—he—he he, he could have been the first man on the moon this would be in the Apollo ten mission, um, but he. Well, we'll get into this later. He was ordered slash chose not to land. Um, but, uh, so he's this high personal ambition, but he is also in many ways like a cog in a tool in this larger kind of like bureaucracy.
0: Yeah. Um, I think he, he does a very good job in the role. I don't know if you would say Ed Baldwin is like the most original main character of the TV show yeah. ever devised. Um, uh but uh no i think he's fine but uh, i do think i have an issue with in these two episodes we're covering is that i said it's sort of like um like set up first and that i feel like the character of ed baldwin isn't really given much in the way of like character agency Mm -hmm. like he's sort of more just reacting to stuff in the first two episodes and um It does, it does, like, that question popped up when I was watching the first few episodes of, like, how is this a TV show? (laughs) What what is this about, like, actually?
1: Yeah. (laughs) I I think, yeah, by and large, there isn't a lot of character agencies for any of the characters in these first two episodes. And I I forgot to mention this earlier, but I would say that the premise is also a little confused by the uh, the Elita storyline, which, you know, we're first introduced to Alita Rosales, this this young Mexican girl and her family, when they're watching the moon landing in Mexico, and then fast forward a few months later, and they're shown crossing the border um, into the United States, and you're just kind of like, why why does this matter exactly, right? And I, I think like, and that's definitely how I felt when I was watching it. Um, rewatching, it, I'm like, okay, well, this character becomes important later, um, and also there's probably an argument to make uh, uh, there to be made about sort of like a how like how how this thing captivated the world right how the moon landing captivated the world you know from people in their comfortable american suburban homes to um uh, you know people poor people in mexico it captivated the entire world but also in a way how it it, it kind of like reinforces like man's insignificance and in the grander universe type thing but i but i just think structurally it it muddles up the pacing and focus of the first two episodes a little bit
0: yeah it's it's sort of like um it's sort of like it's implot employing employing sort of like the level of storytelling and structure sort of like uh codified by like hbo's like the wire Mm -hmm. stuff like that where it's showing like sort of all the different strands in like a chronological order and you know it all sort of connects But I I do feel like it's sort of, um, it wasn't given enough polish, so it sort of sticks out like a vestigial limb. Like, what is it? It It's like Snoopy? Is that the name of the limb? Yeah, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, so anyway, it sticks out like a limb. And it is sort of like, you have this feeling of like, why why is this this here? Why am I watching it? And it's like, you sort of know in the back of your head, like, this has to tie into something. But um, I don't know if it was completely necessary to show their journey across the border i mean you could have done that i feel like you could have done that like just start it with octavia working as the janitor mm-hmm. at the space center and you can do a flashback yeah
1: it, it's one of those things where it honestly makes me wonder had this been released in like 2009 would they have included that scene or is this kind of like a donald trump is president immigration is a topical issue this will grab viewers attention
0: Oh, I wasn't even thinking of it like that, but maybe. Yeah. Um, I guess it depends on whether it was a solely storytelling choice if they wanted to make some sort of thematic statement. I mean, obviously, they did want to make a thematic statement. I just yeah. whether they wanted to do it up front.
1: I, I feel like you could almost argue that it's trying to compare the act of crossing the border to landing on the moon. Uh, but maybe I'm reading too much into it.
0: <laughs> no, I think that's an excellent counterpoint. I definitely do think that they were probably intending that sort of reading Mm -hmm. um yeah so um that's the i would say that's sort of a broad coverage of the first episode is that it's sort of just setting up you know the um you know the world of the space program more than the characters um there are you know there are fun moments i guess mike's sort of in love with the part where they all drive their cars (laughs) in slow motion and go sing at the bar which is like a, a big moment of levity I guess,
1: in the show. Yeah, I it, it, I think it's it's a lot of fun. Like, this idea of trying to sort of, like, blow off steam and have fun after, like, a major defeat. I love that song, What Becomes of the Brokenhearted by Jimmy Ruffin. And I love the way they bring it back at the end of the episode, right? Um, which, can, can I talk about what happens at the end of the episode? Or are we waiting for yeah, that?
0: Yeah, no, you can talk about so it. So,
1: the episode ends... Essentially, this episode, there's the setup of the premise and this idea of, like, they're still going to go... F- Forward with Apollo Eleven, they're still gonna land on the moon. And so the last, I don't even th- the full last third, like the last quarter or so, of the episode, is them launching Apollo Eleven. They get up to the moon, um, Armstrong and Aldrin go to land, and all of a sudden they lose communications. Um, and everybody's very concerned. It's been like four hours. They assume they've all died. Nixon's preparing his remarks. Uh, mourning the deaths of Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, all of a sudden, uh, the control panels flick, flicker back to life, and it turns out that they've crash-landed, but they're all good. The Americans have finally landed somebody on the moon, and now they have to like, bring them back. And the song that plays over sort of the shot of um, the eagle on the moon is what becomes The Brokenhearted. And, like, the idea is, you know... these, NASA and the American people are brokenhearted in this moment, right? And so the song is like literally asking the question, what is going to become of these people? And you get your answer in that final scene, which is, well, they pick themselves back up and they do what they were going to do anyway, right? What becomes of the brokenhearted? They go to the moon anyway. And I feel like that's just like a, it was a very, like that was, I think, this thing that actually really convinced me to keep watching the show. Um, Because it seemed like there was some real thought put into that whole thing
0: yeah and then you know that this show's interesting in the way it like ends its episodes and sort of like leads into the next one so i think that leads us into our discussion of episode two uh he built the saturn five so um yeah they're basically just sort of dealing with the fallout of like now we have to sort of get these people back on the moon after they crash landed and um which they do pretty much immediately.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, it's th- yes. The second episode is is more so about. Um, I feel like this is where they try to do more character work. They try to kind of like explore Gordo and Tracy's relationship a little bit more. Um, they 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 spend more time with Margot and uh, Werner, and it's kind of about. Yeah, I guess it's really less about like a character storyline than it is about sort of like what it takes and what things you have to do to um to create a space program. Yeah.
0: Well, it's kind of like about like legacy. Yeah, yeah. I would say it's sort of like a theme, mm-hmm. and it is like episode two. I would say, like we're talking about characters. Like this is um, I would say this is like sort of like the Werner von Braun hour. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, um, and this is what I was, like, saying. It's, like, it feels like a docudrama. Mm-hmm. Like, I could imagine, like, someone watching this, like, um, and not even realizing that, like, the whole stuff with Russia landing first, like, didn't <laughs> even happen. And they're just watching this. And it's, like, oh, okay, so this is just, like, history. And they're just reenacting yeah. historical yeah. events. Because it's just, like, Werner Braun's, like, you know, an actual person who was real. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, this second hour of your TV show where you spend a lot of time, you know, just sort of establishing the world and not really enough of your sort of new fictional characters and then it's like the second hour is about Werner von braun Mm -hmm. for the most part and so it just sort of has that docudrama feel um but uh no i i enjoyed the second hour because i remember watching the first episode and when i saw you know Werner von braun's a character i was like really excited it's like oh that's interesting you know because i sort of hold him in some regards since he was like The father of the american space program or whatever you know i really have a fondness for like scientists who have like a vision and stuff like that so i was really excited that Werner von Braun would be like a continuing important character (laughs) in this series and then i watch episode two and and then he he's not
1: (laughs) no he is not he uh he he um
0: he falls victim to uh to nixon
1: yes to, to to nixon's what are nixon's dirty tricks yeah, what what happens is is that, um, so this is like also one of the very first outside of the Russians landing first. One of the big divergence points is that um, there are now going to be inquiries and hearings on Capitol Hill into um, the space program, how money is being spent, and all of that. And uh, Senator Ted Kennedy of Massachusetts is the chairman of these hearings, which means that he skipped his like family barbecue in Chappaquiddick which means that, unlike in our universe, he never takes a late-night drive with Mary Jo Kopechny. Uh They never drive off uh, into a river, and she never drowns, and his presidential aspirations kind of stay alive. And so it, it's kind of viewed by the Nixon administration as this attempt to um, blame Nixon for losing the race to space, um, to remind everybody how it was Ted Kennedy's brother, John F. Kennedy, who initially called to land on the moon and all of that. And so uh, Nixon's whole plan is to, mm. um, he, he gets one of his little congressional stooges, <laughs> Charles Salmon, who was a real guy. He was actually a, uh, he was a congressman from New Jersey. He represented like the Cape May area. Um, and they bring Werner Von Braun um, to, to the stand. And um, they ask him on national television about his membership of the SS and his his uh, his V two factories and his connections to to the Nazi death camps.
0: Yeah, and I I, I don't know how you felt, but it's like watching it, it just made me feel angry, just because like like I was saying before, like I have a certain amount of admiration for Werner von Braun as like you know, person who like you know was an important scientist. Love the space program, sort of as an inspiration for characters like Reed Richards and other important science heroes in popular culture and whatnot. And it just like, it sort of made me angry just because it was like the most. I mean, like, obviously, it's like a dirty trick mm-hmm. in like Congress, and it's like sort of the thing I can certainly imagine happening in today's Congress. Right, yes. <laughs> but it is just sort of like, did you know <laughs> that you were on the German side? during world war ii yeah and it's like yes we (laughs) we know and it's just it's just annoying it just it just felt like this because like it's like this um it's like felt like an easy way to score for like the the writers and producers to score points of like Werner von braun is a bad guy (laughs) like we don't agree with being a nazi you know and fighting on the german it's like the people that um like the um someone pointed out like when you bring up john lennon it's like mm-hmm. the amount of seconds before someone brings up did you know he beat his wife yeah, yeah. it's like
1: well it it happened with james Con today who passed away and people were like you know there were domestic abuses charges against james Con, and he mm-hmm. supported donald trump um yeah i uh yeah i it, it's that scene is not i don't know if it's like handled super well it is it is a little ridiculous like, they just had these, like, giant pictures of the death camps, like, waiting backstage, and they bring him out all of a sudden. Um, but, I mean, I don't know. The one thing I will say is that the song that plays as he sort of, like, solemnly leaves uh, the the hearing chamber, um, which is just called Werner Von Braun, it's by comedian slash musician named Tom Lehrer, where the song is basically kind of... Um, it, it, it expresses skepticism about Von Braun's loyalties... Um, and and how much we should forgive him for for being a part of the Nazi war machine, um, and it, you know it it poses an interesting ethical question, right? It's like should we forgive him? Um, and you know I I would think that if there were national hearings about his involvement in you know the the SS and all that, this whole generation of people who I just spent years fighting the Germans probably would not take to it well, and it leads to this kind of like. It's interesting, right? It leads to this conversation he has with Margot, who's his protege and who looks up to him. He's like a surrogate father to her. And she's very upset. She's like, did you know? And he's like, well, it's not that simple. And they go back and forth. And he says something like, progress always has a cost. Um, And it's like, I feel like that idea is not always revisited that much in this show. Um, But it's like, I guess, like, I I saw they were trying to get to an idea there, but I agree. It wasn't handled like very very well but it's also just like another divergence point for them to use i guess
0: yeah because like in real life you know Werner von braun was you know pretty much celebrated yeah the rest of his life uh in the late 70s i believe uh president carter gave him like an award Mm. like the presidential medal of freedom or whatnot so it's like that none of that stuff obviously happened he was never like publicly exposed you know Mm. and ridiculed um, and I, I will give give the show some credit because like it made me angry like the first time I watch it, but on rewatching it the second time, I think the show goes to some lengths to show that this is like a tragedy for yeah. Werner von Braun that he's like removed in this way and that it's stuff. I think the thing that really sort of annoy I mean it's like one thing for it's like uh, he's exposed to the public mm-hmm. and like Congress makes him out to be sort of like you know, a sham, get out of here, you know, we'll replace you, but I think it's another thing when it's, like, Margot Mm -hmm. is, like, protege, like, just, like, cuts ties with with him entirely, and is just, like, confused that, like, he did some bad things Mm -hmm. during World War II, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, being on the side of the Germans, as it's, like, what did you think he was doing? I don't know, it's just, that's sort of the thing that drives me up a wall, and it sort of plays into... Something that happens in a couple episodes down the line, um, but it it uh I don't know it's just it's just one thing for it's like if you're this character is your protege, it just made me kind of angry. But I guess you know it's good that the show made me feel those kind of feelings in the second episode. Yeah, I,
1: I guess so. And you know, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll just agree. I have nothing else
0: to add. <laughs> um, but I guess before. Uh, so obviously, like the Werner von Braun stuff, and I, I also wanted to mention about the Tom Lair song. So I think, like you know, it's uh, it's you know, it's definitely fair game to sort of employ employ that stock footage, you know, stuff from the time, you know, criticizing, you know, von Braun in sort of you know an even-handed manner. That's sort of you know fair play for them to do that. And you know, I'm glad it's sort of like because um, um, whoever found that footage, you know, obviously that's not something that people are just going to find on YouTube or whatnot, unless. They're searching out for it. So I, that's one of the things I like about this show is that they'll some, sometimes employ stuff like that to sort of reveal more about the time and place uh, of what's going on. But um, before the Werner von Braun testimony, Mr. Uh, Congressman Sandman, it's like the, the big thing for our main character, Ed Baldwin, is that he wants to testify or he's goaded into testifying, right? Mm-hmm. Because he's been reassigned to the Apollo applications,
1: uh, yes, yeah. So he um so we mentioned earlier that he he gives this quote to I believe it's a writer for Life magazine, where he essentially says that we don't have guts at NASA anymore. I could have landed on the moon, they didn't want me to, and I left instead. He gets demoted, he's taken off Apollo I believe he's supposed to be on Apollo fifteen. Um he gets demoted to Apollo applications, which is like a desk job. Um and Tom Paine, who was a real guy, um, who's kind of like the White House liaison to NASA, um, and Charles Sandman are like, oh, we'll we'll get Ed to, up there to discredit von Braun to shift the blame from Nixon onto somebody else, um, and essentially say that von Braun's the one who told me not to land. Um, but then he gets he gets to 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 Capitol Hill. Um, his wife is Karen is dressed almost exactly the same as Jackie Kennedy was dressed when John F. Kennedy was shot. <laughs> um, which is a thing I didn't notice until rewatching, watching And, uh, you know, they ask him these questions, and he, he essentially says, he has this, this moment where he goes, you know what, um, yes, my mission was not to land, but I was the commander of that ship. It was my call. I decided to comply with those orders. I decided not to land, and I, and I chose to, to come home. Um, which is this big uh it's it's redemptive in the eyes of NASA, and then that pair of von Braun's firing gets him back on the Apollo
2: roster,
0: yeah, and then um and then we we're hit with another sort of like wallop at the end of the episode, right mm-hmm. where it's like just when you think you figured this show out, it comes back, <laughs> and it's like the Russians have landed on the moon again, yes, and this time. It's a woman. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Did you um, did you look into is like were, were there women astronauts in the Soviet Union?
1: Um, uh, I believe that I, I I did not look um very deeply into this. Um, I believe there were female cosmonauts. None to my knowledge. Well, I don't think the Russians ever landed on the moon. Period. Uh, no,
0: I, only Americans have landed on yes. the moon. I believe, um, unless there was like an American Canadian <laughs> astronaut.
1: That, that may have been um but yeah Anastasia Belakova who which is the name of the woman in the show Who Lands on the Moon um is she real I I'm going to google it right now I should have looked this up earlier hmm. but let's find out in real time
0: Yeah cuz um it's like an undercurrent in this episode like the women like you were saying um uh Gordo and his wife's um relationship is sort of put to the test um you know in a plot line that i felt like was like something out of mad men yeah. but in like kind of a disappointing way mm-hmm. kind of like something that i had like seen before i don't know how you felt about it
1: yeah so honestly Bel- above anastasia belikova is not a real person really um, invented for for the show um yes i it, yes very real madman vibes and i feel like there's a definite I feel like this is a trap you kind of like fall into anytime you make a show about or a movie about the '60s, where it's like we have to show that the times are changing, and they've kind of done that a lot on Batman already. So it's kind of hard not to to retread a little bit. Like there's that even that one scene where um, Tracy and Karen are talking about like Midnight Cowboy, and it's like one's supposed to clearly find it scandalous, and the other's kind of supposed to find it like you know interesting. Um, but yeah, it was a um it's it's interesting if only because that the way tracy behaves in this episode i feel like kind of runs counter in some ways to the way she behaves in later episodes right
0: yeah i want to say there's like a definite improvement in these two characters as as the show goes forward
1: yes i i would agree um yeah and she she's more she's i mean she's not like you know betty draper but she's she's kind of, like, cast as more of just, like, the, the put-upon housewife. But at the end, the thing is, you know, everybody's watching the second moon landing, and then she sees Bella Cova come off the lander, and you can tell that she's actually excited by this, right? The notion of a woman on the moon. And that kind of, I feel like, sets in motion a lot of what what goes on in the latter part of this series.
0: Season. Yeah, it, do- it does make me think about, like, how would you react, you know? Um, you know, if you're... How, how did people in other countries react to, you know, the Americans landing on the moon? It's like, were mm-hmm. people in Britain happy? I assume they must have been, you know, but it's like Russia. How did they feel? How did, like, a common Russian person feel about it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I, if, you know, obviously they're happy because it's like a woman on the moon, which especially at the time of the late 60s, like, you know, was an important milestone, I guess, for women. Um, and in some ways, women are being brought back to the roles that they had, more than 50 years ago not to get two current events on this podcast or whatnot <laughs> yeah um yeah.
1: There, there is an offhanded reference to people wearing hammer and sickle t-shirts in london but who who knows who knows why they were doing that
0: really i i didn't catch that What one in the, of, the what, episode
1: what one of the characters says i was just in london there there were people wearing hammer 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 and sickle t-shirts
0: Speaking of shirts, I wanted to bring up the fantastic shirts that they wear in the um, barbecue scene. Yes, I love that whole '60s vibe of like the the Polynesian culture thing that arose, I guess, out of post World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember reading about this. I can't remember it too much, but yeah, those, those shirts that they wear are amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: good. I wish we could go back to that style, going to barbecues wearing a Hawaiian shirt and just slacks
1: no one's stopping you 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 could do it tomorrow if you wanted to we're
0: not having 60s barbecues anymore that's
1: true that's true
0: um yeah so i guess i guess that um that's pretty much episode two in a nutshell i would say overall it sort of continues the docudrama vibe of episode one there's like a little bit of character stuff but as we said like it's certainly it sort of vastly improves i think from this point forward and it's sort of hard to get a beat on, like, what the show is, you know, like, how is this a TV show? Like, why am I tuning in every week? Um, how, how do you feel about it, Mike?
1: Yeah, I, I would agree. I, yeah, it definitely keeps, um, obviously, the docu drama stuff, but it's also, it, it feels, it just feels like a lot of play setting still, but it does kind of help um, get, get you to know the characters a little bit more. It, it's sort of beginning to cohere into a more recognizable, like, tv structure um yeah I, I would say generally yeah the second episode although i don't know i do like the first episode for what it is but um but yeah it definitely definitely sets it off from the right direction
0: um yeah i mean it's certainly pretty to look at it's sort of like the um this might be a weird comparison but it's sort of like it's like star wars rogue one where it's mm. like nice to just see all this stuff like the way it's shot yeah and like the attention to detail is very evocative yes but like in terms of like the emotion and like connecting with a character and stuff i feel like is is missing um because like they want to try to uh create some sort of verisimilitude and like this is like the real world if we just went off on another path so it's like nixon and like ted kennedy and like weird uh fake sort of stuff um so, and I mean, it, it's definitely, you know, a choice, because I feel like I can imagine a version of the show where you're like, you never see Nixon, you never hear Nixon, mm-hmm. um, but they chose to employ this st- sort of thing to, like, make it feel more real. Um, and I, I, will, I will say, like, the attention to detail and so forth, it's, like, really good. Like, as I was just saying, I really like those shirts that they wear yeah. <laughs> at the barbecue. Um, I mean, they got all those nice cars for that mm-hmm. car chase sequence.
1: Yeah, the drag race I feel is probably more Drag race more appropriate.
0: Um you know, that they, they went to the moon for this show, it looks real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, I I, I I mean and since we were talking about Mad Men just a moment ago, Mike, I know you're a big Mad Men fan. Mad Men Mad Men. Yeah. That show that John Hamm was in. Yes. And then he never did any drama ever again. Um <laughs> Uh, and i know you're a big fan i I watched a couple episodes so i'm interesting interested to see how you uh compare this to to mad men in terms of how it portrays the 60s i
2: don't
0: know if you want to talk about that now or yeah
1: I, i so i think that in this the first two episodes i think it's pretty it deals with like kind of i feel like what became like these mad men tropes where it's like you have um these husbands who are um, very sort of closed off to their wives, very private about what they do. Um, and in one case, you have a husband who has like clearly a drinking problem and definitely an adultery problem. Um, and so it deals with these kinds of familiar tropes of the kind of, um, like I said, the, the sort of like stoic husband who, who's just kind of bottling everything up. And then like the, the housewife who has to deal with the kids and all these other things has to do like the real work, if you will. Um, and then it also, like I said, it's like there's like the Midnight Cowboy reference. It, it tries to touch on the progress a little bit. I, I, it definitely sort of like that, that progress part definitely like, um, it kind of like accelerates greatly in the show just because of like what the show begins to focus on. But it, it's, you don't have that slow build. Like Bad Men, obviously, it's a, well, I think it's seven seasons. Um, you know, you don't have that slow build from 1960 to 1969. You're beginning in 1969. So things have already changed. But at the same time, the space program is this kind of bastion of, like, good old American values. And that's, I think, reflected in the way that the characters dress, the way that they talk, and all of that. So it's insulated a little bit more. Like I said, there will be characters who show up later where the sort of the counterculture and and sort of racial and sexual diversity begins to seep in a little bit more. Um, but yeah, it... it it's you know it, it's it's familiar if not a little um, too familiar just because like you said there there've been shows that done it before but yeah I thought it was pretty good
0: yeah I'm not like, I'm not like the hugest Mad Men guy but like from what I've seen I feel like at a certain point they like kind of overdid the the sixties tropes a bit mm-hmm. like like and especially like. Oh, you know, men in this time were different. Right. You know, they yeah. were they were really bad. Yes. Mad, so if you will. I, I felt like they kind of overdid that, and I feel like this show is, is much more even keeled mm-hmm. about, um, like the, you know th- these are these are nice people.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think like yeah, Mad Men I think is ultimately a show. Mad Men is 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 not like, uh it, it, They it, they just they have completely different goals, right? Like Mad Men's supposed to be this sort of like. There are some episodes that are really, like, dreary and, like, dark, whereas For All Mankind, I think, as the show kind of goes on, it becomes, like, a little bit more of, like, a, um, a little bit more of, like, an adventure in a way, right? I just think the goals are completely different, um, and so that just affects the way it ends up, you know, using those characters and, and those tropes.
0: Yeah, no, this show, this show is much more different. I'm glad you said adventure because I remember when I finished watching the first season and we talked about it a bit and I said like, it's weird how it's like every two episodes felt like a movie Mm -hmm. and it's like the way it just flows from one to the other. So it was like really interesting. It's sort of, as we were talking about at the beginning, it sort of itches that sort of Star Trek sort of vibe of like, it's like competency porn. I saw someone call it. (laughs) just like people on a mission and doing their best Mm -hmm. and it's like um if you're a fan of like movies like like submarine movies Mm -hmm. where it's like stuff like that um people in close quarters like working to solve a problem i mean
1: i would argue top gun is competency born
0: (laughs) yeah well there you go i mean like you know this this show is not um it's sort of it's not afraid to like be what it is it's like yes Mm -hmm. i don't want to get into a whole thing about um like re- revising the past, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's like let's, it, it. And if it does, it does it in a way that's like very smart and well, well structured. It doesn't like shy away from like these. These were the men. There were, you know, men. the The men in the astronaut program, you know, were competent pilots, mm-hmm. who you know were of a certain race and you know certain uh, nationality. And it's like it. They they use them and then they are employed very well. And what we'll get into next episode when we get into our really first outstanding episodes of the season, when we bring in uh, Nixon's women mm-hmm. um, that they employ that in a way that feels very smart and organic. And I feel like this show is very not afraid to like sort of employ like what was ha- going on in the sixties and embrace like, this is what the space program was like. These were competent people doing, you know, competent missions and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Mad men, I think is very much about sort of, um chipping away at like the veneer of the 60s and being like actually everybody was an alcoholic and an adulterer which obviously there's some exaggeration there whereas i feel like for all mankind um it it's, it's it's clearly very up on this it's very optimistic about the space program so they're, they're not looking for that same sort of revisionist. even though this is alternate history they're not looking at sort of like a revisionist viewpoint i guess
0: yeah um so yeah i think that pretty much uh covers our, our thoughts on the first two episodes of For All Mankind. And I'm, I'm certainly excited to, to talk about the rest of the season because I feel like some really interesting stuff happens, especially from this point forward when I, it sort of more coheres and we learn more about our characters and whatnot. So uh, I'm excited to talk about it. Mike, how do you feel?
1: I, I'm also excited to talk about it.
0: And I, I'm interested to, you know, see what happens uh, when we get to the end of the season, how our thoughts feel? Like what's going to happen? What's going to happen on our podcast? Who are we going to get as special guests? That, that's a
1: good question. Maybe we let's see if we can get Buzz Ald—he's still alive, right? Let's see if we can get Buzz Ultra. <laughs> we'll start there and then work our way down. I, I want
0: you to email John Glenn about <laughs> making an appearance, and then for you to be like Lewis, I just got a reply from John Glenn, and it said, "Fuck."
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. When yes. that when he said um when chris bauer said that line i was like for some reason i was like that feels like a mike levito line (laughs) really (laughs) i felt like no that's that's a line that mike would really like yeah i don't know why
1: i i enjoyed it (laughs) it's a good one where he says Um, even gentleman john glenn said fuck yeah that's pretty good
0: uh yeah so um mike uh you know uh, we're big on Mm -hmm. on the visitors podcast about hearing from our listeners so if people want to get in touch with us about questions comments if they want to let us know about real historical facts about the space program and whatnot how how should people get in touch with us
1: you can contact us at contact at the and we'll we'll read your email and, and hopefully reply to it
0: yeah and you can get in touch with mike on twitter right <laughs> yes
1: i am on twitter at m Levito. i'm on letterbox at Amerimike.
0: And I'm on Twitter at at the Lewis Ryan, and I have a letterbox as well under the same name. And uh, we have a Post Rider Twitter account, right?
1: Yes, I believe it's just at the Post Rider.
0: Yeah. So t- tell all your friends. Yes. Uh, Add us at at us. At us. Twitter. Like
1: and subscribe this podcast, which can be found anywhere podcasts are found.
0: Yeah, so I think that pretty much does it for this week. So uh, Mike and I are going to go run to our classic cars now. <laughs> and we're going to do a drag race to the, the local uh, dive. Mm-hmm. And we're going to, you know, sing sing lots of old songs from the early 2000s.
1: Yes. All hey, ya uh, all all the time.
0: <laughs> all right. So until next time, everyone, keep watching for all mankind. All right. Wow. Bye.
1: this bracket season and to celebrate the post Rider is a brand new
2: podcast they'll do for political junkies what the ncaa tournament does for sports fans that's right everyone it's called floor fight and each season we'll be creating a bracket that pits political figures and topics against each other until we end up with an ultimate winner it's like a contested convention if a contested convention was held between two guys in a google hangout with too much time on their hands for
1: our first season, we seeded 72 losing presidential candidates for a tournament of the also-ran, so we can finally answer the question, who was the greatest president we never had? It's the perfect show for anyone who ever wondered what would happen if Dewey really did defeat Truman, or if Palm Beach County didn't use a butterfly ballot in 2000. And The best part is you can check out the seeds and prepare for the play now at the slash floor fight. See every candidate who they'll match off against at the play-in in tourist 1st rounds,
2: and let us know on Twitter, at the Postwriter
1: who you think should win.
2: And if those references to Dewey and Truman and Palm Beach County meant anything to you, then subscribe to Floor Fight. It's available everywhere you can find podcasts and, of course, on ThePostWriter.com. <laughs>